Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you for the things that you've caused to be written down here in the book of Luke. And Father, tonight we've already, many of us have already sung the truth that our Lord is great, that Jesus is great. And I pray that tonight as we open your word and look closely at it, that you would blow us away with just how great Jesus is. We pray that would be for his glory. Amen. All right. Uh, I don't want to assume too much about you. So how many of you have been to a live music gig before? Who's, yeah, okay. What, um, you know how to live music gig, you've kind of got the supporting act and then you've got the headline show, yeah? So you kind of go to a gig and some band plays and you're there to Who did you last see? Who was the last show you saw? Okay, so you're there to see John Butler, but then before John Butler, they bring out some other random band, and they're like, listen to these guys, and you're like, I don't know who these guys are, and they play some songs for you, and then you listen to John Butler after that group, right? That's basically kind of the idea of the the, the supporting act and the headline act. Now, people go to see shows because they want to see John Butler, but they still put on these little supporting acts at the start of the show, I reckon, because the musos who are like famous and stuff want to make themselves look really, really good. And so they put this other supporting act on first. And then in comparison, you're like, man, John Butler was amazing. How good was that? I think that's what they're doing there. I remember going to gigs, right, where like the supporting act is playing and people are visibly bored. They're getting tired standing there and they like start sitting down on the ground and stuff and just ignoring some, like, you know, it's like a pretty bad band, some guy screaming and rolling around on the floor, (laughs) screaming lyrics that no one's ever heard before, just going, who is sound face you know and then and then and then the guy on stage from the supporting act is like going get up off the ground you guys suck and start swearing at the audience and the audience is like boo bring out john butler and they're getting angry at the supporting act and there's just like tension and i just feel really awkward and i just want to clap heaps loud because i feel bad for the supporting act i've seen that all go down but imagine you're at a gig right imagine you're at a concert and and you hear the supporting act and they come out and it is just like the ridiculously best music you have ever heard. Like the supporting act just destroys anything you've ever heard before and you're just sitting there going, oh man, this is good music, this is so good. What are you thinking at that point? You might be like maybe the the main event isn't going to be as good, but provided it's like the proper progression, you're just going, man, this is a supporting act. Imagine how good the headline is going to be. The headliners are going to be. This is going to be amazing. This music is going to make me want to pee my pants. It's going to be so good. And you'd be freaking out about how good it's going to be if you had a supporting act that good. Luke chapters 1 and 2, which we're about to look at right now, is basically about a supporting act and a headliner. It's about a supporting act and it's about a headliner. The supporting act is a guy called John the Baptist, not John Butler, John the Baptist. Uh, and, And the headline event in these two chapters is Jesus. That's basically, if you really wanted to boil it down, that's what's going on in Luke chapters 1 and 2. What Luke, the author of this book, does is he, he will tell us something about John the Baptist and then he'll tell us the comparison about Jesus. He'll say, John the Baptist was like this and then Jesus was like that, which is even more amazing. John did this, Jesus was like that. So if you look at your Bibles in front of you guys, you'll see it there in like chapters 1 and 2, which we're not going to look at all of tonight, but I want to give you the big picture. All right, in chapters 1 and 2, you'll see headings like, John's birth foretold in chapter 1. Yeah, you see that early on in chapter 1, John's, the birth of John the Baptist foretold. Then later on it says the birth of 
Jesus foretold. And then you'll see, um, you know, there's a song right before John's birth, and then there's a song right before Jesus' birth. And then you'll see that the birth of John the Baptist. Then you'll see the birth of Jesus. And so there's this constant comparison between the supporting act and the headline act, Jesus. And we'll look at some of those verses a little bit closer just to show you what, John, what Luke is doing there. Right? So look at some of these verses. In, in verse 17 of chapter 1, right? verse 7 in chapter 1, we hear that John the Baptist is going to be born from a lady who's like super old and barren. That's verse 17 of chapter 1. Uh, verse 43 of chapter 1, guess who Jesus is going to be born from? You thought a barren lady was impressive. This lady's a virgin. That's who Jesus is going to be born from. And so it's like even more amazing. Verse 77 of chapter 1, John the Baptist is going to prepare the way, uh, prepare the way for the Lord who is to come. If you look at verse 43, you're going to see that Jesus is the Lord that is to come. Uh, in, in verse 15 of chapter 1, you'll see that John the Baptist is going to grow up and he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. If you look at verse 32, Jesus will be great. He'll just be great. The very de definition of great. Jesus is great. Not in comparison to anything else. He is great. And so in each of these things, it's showing us that Jesus is just awesome. He, he, John looks impressive, as you see with the details of his life. We don't have time to look at all. John looks impressive. Lots of amazing things about John. But Jesus just destroys it. He blows John out of the water. John is like a really, really, really impressive kind of supporting act. But really all he's doing there is pointing to the fact that Jesus is so much better than that. And so here's the point of, of Luke chapters 1 and 2, really. Jesus is awesome. That's what it's about. Jesus is amazing. He's the greatest. He's the best. He's the single most important thing that has ever happened in our world. He is mind-blowingly, ridiculously important. Angels turn up before his birth and after. People, when they hear about his coming, burst into song and just start singing about how excited they are. They're just that blown away by this news of Jesus. There's a dude called John the Baptist whose whole life is really about pointing the fact that Jesus is coming. His whole life is about this guy who's coming after me, Jesus. Jesus is a massive big deal. That's what's going on in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Now what we're going to do for the rest of the night though is I want us to zoom in on those verses that were read for us because we're going to look closely at some of those verses uh, and I want us to see the details of why Jesus is so great, what makes him so good. Now, particularly if you're new here tonight, you might have already figured out that we think Jesus is pretty good. We just sung like five songs about him, we've been praying to him, we talk about him a lot, I seem to get pretty excited about him. So you probably figured out that we think Jesus is pretty good. But have you ever stopped and kind of gone, what's so big about this? What's the big deal about Jesus? Why is Jesus so good? Have you ever asked that question? That's what we're looking at tonight. So starting in verse 26, let's kind of set the scene as we look at the passage. Uh, God sends an angel to this lady in a town called Nazareth. The lady's name is Mary. You've probably heard of her as the Virgin Mary. She's engaged to be married, but she's a virgin. She's the Virgin Mary. She hasn't done it. All right? And then in verse 29, this angel turns up and he's like, what up? You're really favored by God. I'm an angel. How are you doing? And I love verse 30 because Mary does this. So an angel turns up, hey, how are you doing? I'm an angel. And she says, uh, it says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. 
All he says is, hey, how you doing? I'm an angel. And she's like, I wonder what kind of a greeting this may be. It's really odd statement. I like that. Uh, but then here's the key bit. He turns up and, and she's worried about what kind of a greeting this may be. Uh, and, then, and then look at what the angel says to Mary. Verse 31. Let's look at it again. He says, do not be afraid. And then he says, you'll be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Loud and clear. Here's the first thing that makes Jesus a really big deal. Jesus is the son of the Most High. And he guesses who the Most High is. We're talking about God. Jesus is the son of God. And you, I don't know if you've ever talked to a Jehovah's Witness or anyone who believes all sorts of different ideas about Jesus, but you'll hear people say, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. But so am I. We're all sons of God. That's just like a title, you know. God creates us, and so we're all sons of God in some sense. Jesus isn't actually the Son of God. That's wrong. Check out verse 34 and 35. Jesus is literally the Son of God. Look at verse 34. So you're going to have a baby. You're a virgin. And she says, what's the obvious question? You're, you're a virgin, you're going to have a baby. She's like, what? How's this, how will this be? Mary asked. Verse 34, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You're a virgin, the Holy Spirit's going to come and going to do this stuff. And then the result is that the baby that's going to be born is the Son of God. Now, in case you're giggling in the front row there because you think Jesus had sex, no, because you think God had sex with Mary, that's not what's going on here. The passage clearly says that's not the case. What the passage does say is that in some way, through the Holy Spirit, God creates a baby in a virgin woman's womb and then the baby is on its way. All right? God and a human make this, this baby whose name is going to be Jesus. That's what's going on here in this passage. Now, why is that a big deal? Let's think about that for a second. Why does that matter? What's so impressive about some guy who's the son of God, apparently? It is a pretty impressive title, right? That's who he is. I'll get some pictures up on the screen. No, don't put a picture up on the screen. Don't do it. What do you get if you add together a lion and a tiger? A lion and a tiger together create an animal. What is it? You get a liger, all right? This isn't doctor. That's a real pit. That's not digitally edited. That's literally an animal that exists. Lion, tiger, liger, all right? What do you get if you add... What, if, what do you get if a cat and a dog create something together? What do you make? What do you make? Cat dog! You get this. It's cat dog, all right? It's a TV show. All right. Get rid of that picture now. Get rid of that. All right. What do you get... What do you get if a human and God create a baby? No, you get a God-man. And so here's the point. Guys, Jesus is, is fully God and fully man. He is a God-man. And it's not like you do the math and you go, he's 50% God, 50% human. No, no. He is literally, in every sense, God and in every sense, a human. He's a God-man. Jesus is God. That's what's been said here. Jesus is God. That's pretty impressive. That's a pretty big deal. Here's the second thing that's a big deal about Jesus. This passage says it really clearly. Jesus is Lord. We sing about that. We talk about that. Maybe you've heard that idea lots of times. We're going to unpack that. Jesus is Lord. He's the king 
of the whole world. Check out verse uh, 32 again, 32 and following. There's the angel talking about him. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. That's a dude from the past. I'll tell you about that in a second. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will never end. Now, to understand the significance of those those verses there, you do have to do a little bit of background, okay? So here it is. Um, Like hundreds of years ago, God has been promising to his people Israel this king who's going to come. He's been making promises about this king who's going to come, who's going to be from the line of David, who's like an awesome king from the past. He's going to be a king who rules like David, but he's going to be the best king ever. He's never going to die. His rule is going to last forever. Uh, and, and so Israel start going, sweet, this king who comes is just going to be like mad dog warrior man and he's going to rule everyone by killing them all and it's just going to be the best thing ever. We're going to own the world. That's what Israel is starting to think is coming. They're waiting for this awesome king who's going to come and rule forever. That's the history, the background, right? It's a, little bit, it's a little bit like in movies where, you know, I don't know what, The Matrix or some other movie where there's some big problem that's coming and then like it's, it's determined ahead of time that there's going to be this saviour who's going to save the world like Neo out of The Matrix. So what's another example? What have we got? I don't know. What's that? Star Wars or something. Blah, 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 nerd. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So something like that, right? You know, there's this long look forward at this... Sorry, you you participate and I just slam you. Nerd! Yeah, but anyway. So there's this looking forward to this one who will come, who will be the one, right? What's going on here in this passage is this angel turns up and he's saying to, to, to this Jewish woman, this is your baby. This is the one you're going to give birth to, the king... We've been waiting for all this time who's going to be the best king ever who will never die and live forever. God's eternal saviour king. That's what they're waiting for. You see the same idea in the next little section, right? So the angel says, yeah, you're going to have a baby. And to prove it, look, even your auntie, who's your cousin, who's super old, Elizabeth, she's got a baby as well. That's John the Baptist. And so she goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth, in like verse 39, and kind of turns up at the door and is like, Elizabeth, what up? And she's pregnant. And Elizabeth opens the door. And the baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's berry, <laughs> in her belly, is like, hey! And, and the, that baby's excited because Jesus is there. Right? And then look at what Mary's cousin says to Mary when she sees her pregnant with Jesus. Look at what she says. Verse 42, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, you might be just used to hearing stuff and not paying attention, but that's a pretty odd thing for anyone to say to a pregnant woman, yeah? Pregnant woman turns up. Like, imagine some pregnant woman walks in, you're like, hello, my lord, talking to like a fetus in someone's baby. That's a weird, crazy thing to say. Unless it is true that this baby really is this king. In that case, it's still weird to talk to a person's belly like that, but it's true. Jesus... Is the Lord and Elizabeth, her cousin, recognizes it straight out, straight away. Now, guys, this stuff may sound very impressive, and there's some big words being thrown around like eternal Savior, King, and the Lord, and He's God, and that's all very well and good. So Jesus really is a big deal. I hope you're persuaded by that. At least I reckon. Was there anyone in the room who'd want to deny that if all the stuff that the Bible's just said is true, 
Surely that means Jesus is a big deal, yeah? We're all agreed on that. Jesus is a big deal if that's true. Why does it matter to us, though? Jesus is a big deal. So what? So is Roger Federer, but what does that mean for me? What's that got to do with me? I'll give you an illustration that I want to kind of land for you guys why this really does matter, who Jesus is, that he's Lord. give you an illustration. It's a long one, but I hope it's worth it. So strap yourself in for a tale of the high seas, all right? Imagine you're on a ship, like an old school sailing boat, right? And you're on this ship and you're like a deckhand on the ship and you're on this boat and it's pretty good being on a boat. The captain, he seems all right. You're just kind of scrubbing the deck, hanging out with your crewmates. But one day, imagine you're on this ship and you're scrubbing the deck. I don't know why they're cleaning their deck so much, but you're scrubbing your deck and then you start talking with the rest of the crew and you go, you know what? This kind of sucks. Why, why are we even cleaning this deck in the first place? I don't know, this kind of sucks. I don't really like having a captain who's telling us what to do all the time. We've got to clean the decks and climb the rigging. What's even up the rigging? I don't know. And you start to get pretty over having this captain in charge of you all the time. And so then you and the crew start talking. You go, maybe we could just run the ship ourselves. Yeah, let's do this thing. And so you mutiny on your ship, right? You grab the captain, you tie him up, you chuck him below deck, and then you're in charge of the ship with your mates. And you're like, see, there's heaps good. We just rule our own ship now. And so you're on your old sailing boat, drifting along. And at first it seems pretty good because you don't have to clean the deck as much and you're just like, we'll just let it get dirty. That's fine, it's just a deck. And you just leave it and you're kind of just cruising and you're hanging out. But then stuff really starts to fall apart a few days later because no one's really sailing the ship, no one's in charge. People have been getting in fights because they're like drunk all the time and they're just kind of sailor jerk guys. Your friend got shot last night by another sailor because he looked in the wrong way. And stuff is really going downhill. It's, it's, it's looking pretty bad. Everyone's drunk constantly because apparently sailors have an endless supply of whiskey. And so things are just looking really, really bad, right? The ship's just kind of drifting along. You know, where you're going, you know you're off course. Things are looking pretty grim, all right? Now, just in case I have to spell out the illustration for you guys, uh, that's exactly what we do with our lives. God's a ruler, he creates us, he owns us, (laughs) and we rebel against the God who made us. And we say, I'm going to run this ship myself, I'm going to run my life however I want to do. But ultimately, we all know from experience in our own lives, when we do that to God and we say, get stuffed God, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, Pretty quickly, we make a massive mess of our lives. And not only of our lives, in fact, when the whole world says that to God, we make a massive mess of the world. It's pretty serious, but the world actually kind of sucks. You're probably old enough to have worked that out. It's because we've, we've mutinied against our captain. All right? So it's serious. We've made a mess of stuff. That's, that's what's going on here in this story. Right? So back to stories. Things are getting pretty grim. Uh, Things are looking bad. It's all looking, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You're afraid to speak up because you might get in trouble yourself. You're kind of like the guys who you mutinied with are now like, what if they kill me instead? You know, it's, it's kind of looking bad. And then the captain breaks free down below deck and turns out he's like a ninja or something. He takes control of the whole ship again, fights everyone down, and he takes control of the whole ship. And you see all this happen and you go, oh, man, this is good. I was freaked out before. I was worried about how this was going, but the captain's back. He's back in control. He's come back. It's all good. I'm loving it. And imagine at that point, this is what the captain says. He turns to everyone on the ship and he says this. This is my ship. I'm the captain here. I'm in control. 
You deserve to be thrown overboard. Every last one of you deserve to be thrown overboard. But I'm a good captain. I've taken control of the ship. And I'll rescue you from the mess that you're in. We'll turn the ship around. We'll get back on course if you guys will follow me again as your captain. Follow me again as your captain. Now notice that you don't earn your rescue at that point. You've already done the wrong thing and you haven't done anything to earn your rescue from that terrible situation. The captain just does that freely, but the conditions are that he'll do it freely for those who will come under him again as their captain. This passage tonight is all about the good news, the gospel, about the fact that Jesus the King has come. The King has come. If you were to summarize Luke chapter 1 and 2 in three words, it would be this, Jesus is the Lord. He's come. That's what it's about. So the Lord, the King, who saves, has come. That's what this passage is about. See, imagine, uh, imagine you've, you've had this situation if you've been a Christian for a little while. Have you ever tried to explain to someone why Christians live the way they do? Right? Imagine someone asks you, you're a Christian, yeah? Why do you always do the right thing? Is that so you can earn your way to heaven so God will like you enough and send you to heaven? And you say, no, no, it's not about that. We're saved by grace. God offers us salvation for free. It's a gift from God. And they go, so why do you do the right thing all the time then? And you're like, well, and it's hard to explain. Here's what a lot of people will say. They'll say, well, Jesus saves us and that's awesome. And so I look at that and I don't have to obey him, but because he's so good, I go, oh, well, he saved me. I'm so grateful for that. Therefore, I want to obey him now. So that's why I obey him. That's kind of true. It's definitely right to look at what Jesus has done and be grateful for it and want to obey him for that reason. That's kind of true. That's not really the whole story because it's not just about gratitude. And it's pretty hard to find that idea anywhere in the Bible that the reason Christians obey God is because they're so grateful for him, even though they don't have to. That's not in the Bible. What the Bible says is Jesus, the Savior King, has come. He's turned up. He's appeared. And so being saved, being freed from the mess that we've got ourselves in, um, but the, the punishment for our sin being paid for is all about Jesus coming and that's awesome. But caught up in our salvation is the fact that we're saved by our king who we now come under his rule. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be saved from your sin to now come under the rule of your king who's actually saves you. And so here's a question for every single person in this room tonight. Um, have you come under the rule, have you come back under the rule of the Saviour King? Are you a Christian? And so first of all, are you trusting in Jesus to rescue you from the mess of sin in your life that you've created? Are you trusting in Jesus for that rescue but are you trusting in Jesus for that rescue? And he, is he now your king? The one who saves you is your king. Is that the reality in your life? See, I reckon there's probably going to be people here tonight who are pretty keen on the idea of having some sucker called Jesus who comes along and pays for our sin. 
but is he your king as well? There's going to be people here tonight who know that that's not the case. They know that they like the idea of having their sin forgiven, but they know that Jesus is not their king, that they haven't surrendered their lives to him to now follow him. And so maybe you're in this weird place where you're kind of trusting in that, but you don't know what you're doing with this whole Jesus is my king idea. Now, from the front, I can't really make a blanket statement to you guys and say, if that's how you feel about your situation, that means you're not a Christian. I can't make a statement like that because you guys could be all confused about what exactly is going on in your life. So I don't want to say if you feel like that's maybe you, therefore you're definitely not a Christian. But if you feel like that, you need to think about where you're at and you need to talk to someone tonight and help them think in with you, think into your life, think into the reality of Jesus as your saviour and Jesus as your Lord. You want to talk to someone about that tonight if you're not sure. So if this, if this passage has raised that kind of a question for you, come talk to me, come talk to a leader. We'd love to help you think about where you are at with Jesus. And make sure you do something about it. Don't leave this place tonight unless you're confident that Jesus is your saviour and your Lord. Because that's what a Christian is. But I've just kind of heavied you guys with the news that Jesus is the Lord just now. But what I want to do as we finish is look at the last little bit of the passage that was read for us. And what I want you guys to see in this passage is this. Not only is Jesus the King, who's, who's the Lord and Saviour, but He's a good King. And it's a joy to follow that King. It's easy to get in your head, okay, I want to be saved, but that means I have to have Jesus as my Lord, and that kind of sucks because I want to rule my own life. And that, oh, oh, Salvation, good. Following Jesus, not good. It's easy to start to think like that, but that's just not what this is about. Everyone who hears the news of this good king who's coming back to rule are stoked about it. They're absolutely stoked about it. Check out Mary's response when she realizes just who Jesus is. She's seen the sign that her cousin is pregnant. Look at what Mary says. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so she, she's, she's stoked and she's finding joy in God, and then she can't help but sing about all the things in the rest of that little song, about all the ways that God is awesome and the, the great things that he's done in the past and how good God is. The arrival of this king isn't like, oh, that sucks, now someone else has got to run my life. It's not that. It's joy. It's joy in God. If you really get this, it leads to joy in God, not just for some who are a bit weird and like singing and, you know, they're the Christian type. No, anyone who really has Jesus come as their king, it leads to joy. Remember that the king that we're talking about ruling your life is a good king. Like five-year-olds, right? Five-year-olds do not like the fact that their parents are in charge. You see five-year-olds all the time, I hate you, you're not my mom. And, and they don't like the fact that there's someone who's in charge of their life. But seriously, just between you and me, we know that if that five-year-old didn't have a mom and a dad, they'd probably be dead by the time they're like six. They're not getting very far without a mom and a dad who know what they're doing running their life. Now, you're not allowed to play on the electrical wires. You know, <laughs> parents who know what's going on 
it's always a good thing to have them in charge. At the time, little kids don't know it, but it's true. Having the right person in charge of your life as Lord of your life is awesome. It's the best. We're arrogant. We think we know what's best for our life and we think, no, no, this way is going to be funnest. This is going to be best. I know what I want for my life. But stop and think for a second. You might believe all this stuff, but you still don't want to have Jesus as your Lord. But think about this. Like, this is the reality. If Jesus really is God and you must have him as your Lord, do you think it's just a little bit arrogant to assume that you know the best way to run your life better than God does? That's pretty silly. If Jesus really is God and he really is good, you've got a pretty good chance of him being a good person to have ruling your life. I guarantee that that's better. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard, but it's always better and it's always good. So guys, if you think anything else but that tonight, you've been tricked. You've been tricked by the world, the lies you hear there, by, by the devil, uh, by your own sinful self. You've been tricked. Having Jesus as your king really is good, brings joy into your life. If you don't believe me and you don't necessarily believe the Bible, talk to some Christians tonight who have Jesus as their Lord. And they'll tell you about how, yeah, it's hard sometimes, but it's good. They'll always tell you that it's the best and it's good. I'm going to pray for us that we would find joy in this incredible King Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, first of all, Lord, we want, to, we want to say again that you are great. We love you and we love that you sent your Son. Father, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you that he is the Saviour King. And we pray, Lord, that for those here who want to claim that salvation always, Lord, we pray that he would also be our Lord. Lord, I pray for people here tonight who are a little bit stuck as to where they sit with this stuff. Lord, I pray that those people would, would know the truth. They'd understand the reality of their situation. And I pray that they would submit to you as the Lord who saves them. Thank you so much for your free gift of grace that you've saved sinners like us. Amen.